So, hello everyone and welcome back to the Beyond Crime podcast. So today we are lucky enough to be joined by Sean. Sean, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you very much, Caitlin. I think this is a wonderful idea and a great podcast. I've listened to all of the episodes and they are really, really good. So uh, my name's Sean Hannigan. Uh, I've just retired as a police officer after 21 years service. Uh, I've had a reasonably interesting career. I started off at university not quite knowing what I wanted to do. So I decided to do a Bachelor of Education at Queen's University in Belfast. Taught for a year just to make sure that I had my teaching credentials because in my day you had to teach to get your probation and you had to do that within the first two years so I got the tick in the box and in those days it was a lifetime license so as soon as you were signed off as a teacher that you done and dusted and for some reason I thought it would be fun to join the army. <laughs> no idea why I came to that conclusion. I actually saw an, an advertisement and it said join the army see the world. Well, I've never been outside of Northern Ireland before, so I thought, oh, that sounds quite fun. So I submitted my papers and uh, went through a number of assessments, which were really, really good. Uh, these were done over in um, England and then had an offer of a place at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst, where I spent uh two terms with other graduate officers and came out as a young very fit idealistic <laughs> second lieutenant so i just uh, i was hoping that i'd get some really lovely juicy postings all over the world and they said you're going to go to a place called ballykilner I thought that's a bit strange. I thought my next posting or my first posting was actually going to be Hong Kong. I said, where's Ballykilner? And they said, it's in Northern Ireland. Oh, no. I said, well, <laughs> wait a minute. On the advert, it said, join the army, see the world. It didn't say, join the army, go back home. And this is interesting from another uh, uh, different point of view. Um, I'm a Roman Catholic. I was born in West Belfast, and for those of you who are familiar with Northern Ireland, West Belfast is what we call the heart of um, Irish republicanism in Northern Ireland. So it's where the home of Sinn Féin, it's where a lot of terrorists used to live. So coming from that background, joining the British Army was interesting, mm. but joining the British Army and going back to Northern Ireland was very interesting because there were obviously places I couldn't go to, friends I was not able to see any longer because I was a British Army officer. Well, I had five wonderful years uh, in the Army, reached the rank of captain and was made redundant under what's called options for change. So that's where they had far too many young captains and they decided to offer us redundancy. So I thought, I've had a really great time. Uh, what do I want to do next? And I thought, well, you've really only taught for one year. So 
would it be interesting to go back to teaching? And that's what I did. So I taught across, uh, and this was in Northern Ireland, I taught across a number of different sectors. So I had primary school, secondary school, and we have in Northern Ireland segregated education. So we've got schools which are predominantly uh, Protestant, schools which are predominantly Catholic, and we also thankfully have schools which are integrated where you have a mix of all communities not just catholic not just protestant but anybody is welcome to come and join in that school ethos so i taught for eight years i taught um special educational needs as also a peripatetic teacher so that's somebody who goes out into the home of individual students because they've got either specific learning difficulty that means that they can't attend school or because they're actually sick mm-hmm. and off for months due to accidents or some other condition including behavior problems so i did that for eight years but unfortunately was made redundant three times and i thought oh what am i going to do next and then the newspaper came into its own again i saw an <laughs> advert uh, would you like to serve your committee so i applied for three different police forces in the uk and was very uh, happy to be accepted by leicestershire and spent 21 very happy years now you might say that's very good but what is the relevance to those three careers well certainly the teaching helped me tremendously when I became a police officer. And throughout my my police career, I've actually uh, been able to use those skills because they are transferable, uh, certainly to policing. I've worked very heavily in uh, working with schools, working with um, young people who are looked after. Uh, and it's what uh, folk in, in the old language would call ca- um, children's homes. We don't refer to them as children's homes anymore. They're, they're looked after young people. And if you were to say to me, Sean, what is the one skill that you need which cuts across the three? It's communication, definitely. And by communication, I mean, uh, and this is a mathematical formula, you've got two ears and one mouth. And that's the way I try and use my head. So I try and listen twice as much as I talk. And I find that to be uh, really useful. So three good careers. And what we're going to look at hopefully today, Caitlin, if you have some uh, questions, we're going to look at 21 years of placing. Mm. I'm not an expert because people call themselves experts. Uh, I certainly am not one. I've just a wealth of experience and I'm really happy to share it with uh, our listeners. Well, thank you for that. That was a really helpful insight into policing, gave people lots of different aspects of it. But you mentioned a couple of different types of crime. I was wondering if you could talk in detail more about the crime harm index and sort of determining police charges. Okay, um, there, there are two things there, police charges and crime harm index. The crime harm index was invented and first talked about by Professor Larry Sharman from the University of Cambridge. He heads up uh, the evidence-based policing, um, if you like, unit down at Cambridge University. And it was a way to measure for academics and also for police managers, high crime affects the community. So basically the crime harm index 
looks at the sentence that you would get for for a specific crime. No, and uh, these aren't exact figures, by the way, but let's let's say that you look at an assault and let's say the sentence for assault is 28 days. So that would have uh, an index of 28. And if you have 10 of those in that community, that's 10 times 28, 280. So that's a measure of the, the crime harm index. It's a, it's a way that you can measure like with like, so you can compare London with Leicester, you can compare Birmingham with Bradford. Now with that, you've got more serious crimes, for instance, murder. Now if you take murder would be, let's say a 10 year sentence. So that would have a crime harm index of 3,650 because 365 days times times 10 years gives you that. So it's a way of measuring how crime affects communities from a statistical point of view and also from a point of view of being able to measure what is it that's impacting on a community uh, most. So if you, let's say in a community you have one murder in the year, that's say 3,500 on the index but let's say you have a thousand assaults well if you have a thousand assaults that's twenty eight thousand on the index so it helps people to compare and i would recommend that people uh, go and and look at professor larry uh, sharman at uh, the university of cambridge because he is really doing some cutting edge work with police forces and police services so that's how the crime harm index relates specifically to being able to measure what the impact is on different communities. And I, I, I should say that that is not the same as looking at the impact on a victim. That's looking at just being able to compare like with like. And it's been so successful that it's rolled out with uh, my Britt Ronaldo in Sweden. She's used the crime harm index now in Sweden, and that's what they're using. Police forces use it to try and help measure where is most of the harm in a community. But what I was going to say is, Caitlin, that is not the same as the harm to a victim because that's different. Domestic violence hate crimes, stalking, cyberbullying, the harm which that has, the effect that that has on the victim is very difficult to calculate. It can ruin somebody's, you've heard people saying it ruins people's lives. It can do if we don't have programs to try and help them. Mm-hmm. And that's why I want to make the distinction between the crime harm index and what I'd call the victim index, which is just what I use. And that as a police officer, you you use every tool that you have. You use your partner agencies, the likes of social services, the likes of counselling services, the likes of... Um, it's just gone out of my head, I'm sure it'll come back into my head, Um, victim support to try and give the victim of a crime some support. Now that's difficult because you have so many different crimes, so many people to help, Uh, but as long as I can go away at the end of the day and say, I've done the absolute best I can, 
then for me, I've done a really, I've done a decent job. And there are jobs I go away from and I say, I wish I could have done more because you don't have the resources or the time. So I, I hope that kind of clarifies that. And just when you mentioned charging, I would like to say something on that because yeah. the police very often get beaten over the head, sometimes rightly so. But I, I mean, metaphorically, obviously, not, not <laughs> when we're doing our, our right stuff. That, would, that, that, that wouldn't be good, Caitlin. But we, um, I've just lost between. I thought, Caitlin, what was I going to talk about there? Policing um, charges. <laughs> yeah, yes, charging. Okay. The police are independent, I hope. The police gather evidence. They gather best evidence. They then present it to a custody sergeant. Sorry, they present it to the Crown Prosecution Service. And the Crown Prosecution Service, they decide, well, is there enough to charge or not? Now, if there's not, the police will, told, will be told you need to get a statement from victim A, you need to clarify the phone traffic that has happened in this incident, you need to get a further statement from the doctor with pictures about the injuries. That will then go back to the Crown Prosecution Service and they'll say, yes, there's not enough to charge the individual. There very often exists a difficulty because to get people to court is not easy. You have to reach a threshold. And that's why it's frustrating sometimes when you have reached the threshold, especially with domestic violence, where the victim decides not to press charges. And that's where now, certainly for, for a good number of years, we have been able to do that on behalf of the victim without, if we have a statement from the victim, we can use it now. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. And, and, and there are issues there because are you going to make the situation worse or better by doing that? Yeah. So there's always that ethical issue. Mm -hmm. And that's where we put a lot of support in, along with partner agencies. And we've got some fantastic domestic violence partner agencies that help us to do our job because we couldn't do it we don't have that um, technical ability sometimes we don't have that uh, we don't have the time to do that bit so when we don't have enough evidence we try and make sure that in the initial investigation we've got all that we can but sometimes we fail because there isn't the evidence there and that's really disappointing for us Caitlin and for those that are listening because we want to prosecute offenders but sometimes if the not looking at domestic violence for instance but other um, crimes that occur if people then withdraw their statements that makes it difficult for us and we do realize that it's difficult because Cops are also victims of crime sometimes. You know, you wouldn't believe that, you know, when when you become a victim of crime, it gives you a slightly different perspective. Yeah. And it, it, it's why sometimes we're, if we've been a victim of crime, we're actually very much more victim-focused than we would be. And I'll, I'll give you a quick, for instance, and this is going to sound really stupid. It's going to sound daft, and you're going to think, how would this annoy you? Okay, so you come down in the morning, you go to drive to work and your car is, the front windscreen is covered in sticky notes. Now, they're not sticky notes, they're bits of paper that somebody has torn up and put all over the car. 
and you're thinking, oh, that's just daft. So after two or three weeks of this, this happens every time you park up right. and you're thinking, why is this happening? And you actually start to become a little paranoid, even though you're a cop. You're thinking, it's just a bit of paper. Why are you worried? Mm-hmm. But it gets so annoying because you stay up until three o'clock in the morning. You watch out of your window. You try and figure out what idiot is doing this. Is it a drunk person? You don't catch them and you go to bed and lo and behold in the morning. It didn't happen every day, by the way. Your car's covered again. And you're thinking, what's going on? So this went on for months. And I really understood what it's like a little bit for that frustration. Now, if I had a phoned up my local place and said, oh, somebody's putting little bits of paper on my car. And they would say, sir, is it causing any damage? No. Well, that's not criminal damage. Mm. So what would you like me to do? What can I do to help? And I say it then from the other point of view. Yeah. Well, what, what if somebody gave me that to deal with, Caitlin, what could we do about it? Not a lot. Is it harassment? Does it fit under harassment, alarm or distress? Yeah, it might fit that. And eventually it took four months to sort it out. Four months. So I do understand as a cop what it's like, and this was early on in my service, to have the shoe on the other foot. Yeah. And that's where I'm kind of more victim-focused than perhaps it would be because if somebody, you know, gave me that example before, I would have said, well, what do you want me to do? Now I say, okay, I have a bag of tools. Let's see which one fits to try and help you. So back to the quest about charging. CPS make the decision to charge or not to charge. And hopefully we have given enough evidence We've gathered the evidence. We've done our job really, really well. Goes to court and there's a conviction. Everybody's happy. Victims still need supporting because they still feel, even with the conviction, they still have issues to do with what's happened to them. So that's where victim support again comes in. However, what happens if they're found not guilty? Yeah. This, is, this can be a problem because it's a jury of 12 people or a bench, a magistrate's bench of three people, two people, but usually three, that's it. And for for folk that are listening to this podcast, do you know what? I want you to become magistrates, be part of the system. Everybody who's listening to this can become a magistrate, as long as you happen to criminal conviction, obviously. Yeah. Okay, because that would kind of not be good, although you might argue from an ethical point of view that you understand the process better. (laughs) Wrong side of the process. (laughs) Okay, but uh, it's still part of the process, so consider doing that. You know, it's it's not very well paid because it's it's a voluntary um, job, but I tell you what, you certainly get to see how things operate because, and this is for you, you legal legals out there, Okay, it's good fun defending people. It's also good fun prosecuting them. So uh, you, if you go to a court, go to a magistrate's court, sit in and listen to, that's when we're opened up again, of course, because everything's done by, remotely at the minute. When we're opened again, go to Crown Court, Magistrate's Court, listen in to the procedure. Try and find out what happens. It's really interesting because... Um, a barrister or a solicitor is not allowed to tell a lie. However, they're allowed to take instructions from their client. 
Yes. Their client's instructions might be lies. Yes. And sometimes are, I've got to say. I know you're listening to me thinking criminals who tell porkies. Is that possible? Absolutely. Yes, it is. So that will give you a, a, an idea of what happens in court. Because usually um, the defence will come up with a defence and every per- person who's charged is entitled to a good defence. I absolutely agree with that. But sometimes when you know some of the characters that are up in court and you think to yourself, how have they ever got off with that? Yeah. And it happens. It's part of the system. Well, you know what? It's 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 a system that we have. We, we, we're the, we've got the best legal system, I think, anywhere in the world. So I embrace that. So thank you for that. That was really interesting, learning about policing charges and the crime harm index. So I sort of wanted to go more specifically into your work now with the sort of the travelling community and the hard-to-reach communities. Do you mind talking a bit about that? Absolutely not. Um, when I took over my area as a bait officer, we had great trouble getting good communications with certain groups. And I'd call them hard-to-reach community. So one hard-to-reach community was uh, an Islamic college because they hadn't really had any police intervention. And they certainly didn't have the bait officer popping in to see how they were. And they were one of the groups that were specifically targeted by the um, English Defence League. In fact, they stole their their sign. They hijacked for ransom the sign outside the college. Another group I can think of are, we used to call them children's homes, but we now call them looked after young people. So I certainly had three of the uh, locations on my beat and not a lot of work had been done with those young people because they would be going missing um, quite a lot, I would say. Probably you'd deal with a missing person from a children, from a young person's uh, home at least once a week, and we had three on our area. You would also have um, some young people who would have behavioural problems, some who would be caught... Uh, stealing in the local community and causing problems because the children's homes are in the community so there'd be a lot of noise there'd be fights there'd be sometimes some of the young people uh being very violent and that would spill out into the street and the third group uh certainly that i worked with were the traveling community and there are two different types of travelers now travelers some people use the word gypsy so um that that's what they would understand them as but i'm I'm going to separate them into irish travelers english travelers and the roma community and they are very difficult to reach certainly um i was very happy to reach out to two of the communities up in uh, Leicestershire. So I would I went on to the traveller's site uh, and it's the first time I think they'd seen a police officer for I don't know how long. There had been irregular visits, but I said to my boss, do you know what, they're part of my bait and I'm going to try and place them. And he fell off his seat and basically I think he probably said, good luck with that. Mm. But it does help me being Irish and I thought I thought that would help so it took me six weeks 
before the traveling the travelers would actually start to speak to me and that was interesting i just kept literally plodding along and i would just say hello to them and they'd say what are you doing here you're not welcome and i would say well this is part of my bait my name's sean and i'm your bait officer and during the six weeks i had to go up because one of the children of the travelers had been taken away by the father and he was uh, the young child was not kidnapped but uh, not far off it yeah so we managed to resolve that but while i was there the back window of my police car was smashed and i think it may have been shot out in fact so um i just thought to myself well that's really not the best of signs mm -hmm. so i uh returned the next day with uh the car which had had its window fixed and the person who was in charge of the traveler said she came up to me and said we're really sorry that that happened because you're only trying to help us I said, well, all I can say is whoever did that was a very bad shot because I'm obviously still standing here. And she she just burst out laughing. So she knew that that I was kind of, well, well, it could have been more serious than it was. It was something where I thought, you know what, um, you've got to really get to know these folk. Yeah. So there were a number of issues for them that needed sorting out health issues, school issues. So that's what I started to work on. And we managed to get some of the travelers' children into school, the local schools. Now that by itself caused a, a stir amongst the local villagers because they didn't want them there. And I had to deal with that and say, you know what, they're entitled to an education. And I said, if this is a way of integration, let's do it. I will also deal with the travelers when they're naughty, but you can't take it out against their their kids and it was interesting because i now have traveler children who are best friends with police officer children so who would have thought that would ever happen yeah. and they began to see that that uh you know the uh, now travelers are very naughty don't get me wrong uh, there, there's one family that would steal the, the eye out of your head while you're still there talking to them but not all travelers are the same and that's the whole point you've got to treat people uh as a community but not as a community of thieves yeah. you've got to treat them as you know what the first time i've met you first time you've met me you've a clean slate with me and i'll treat you okay if you treat me and your the outside community the village is okay and sometimes i'll be honest the traveler the traveling community were very happy when i locked some people up because they were scared of them and sometimes uh, communities are afraid of those who are causing harm outside but also causing harm inside and we had certainly a number of travelers that i i, I have been responsible for uh locking up and that's a that's an occupational hazard for them they accept that but the rest of the community just want to live in peace and quiet and do their thing so as long as they don't affect the outside communities i worked very well with them and in fact i was i think one of the first officers that was invited to a traveler wedding and also a traveler funeral 
um, which which was interesting. So I really did after mm-hmm. certainly a year, I started to gain their trust. And after a year and a half, I was in having a cup of tea with them in the caravans. And that's just unusual for a cup to be able to, uh, to be invited. And where this... Um, this benefit comes to the community as twofold. And I'll give you two good examples which show how you trust, which is vital for the place. If if people and communities don't trust you, you're bust. And I know we have trouble with some of our um, uh, ethnic communities to do with stop search, which I will talk about in a bit. But I'm going to give you two interesting examples for the travellers. So... Uh, there's a BT open reach van and the guy is fixing a uh, transformer and he's up the transformer while another van comes along and steals the front part of his van. So the plastic bit that uh, protects the bottom of the uh, the bottom of the the van just at the front of the engine. So he takes that away. And I get the call, go up to see the chap, and he describes the van. And I know exactly whose van that is. So I go on to the traveller's site, and I speak, I speak to, and I'll just call them, uh, I'll give them a different name, Mr. Mister Smith. Okay, so I go to Mr. Smith Senior, Mr. John Smith, we'll call him, Mr. John Smith Senior. I say, John, you'll never believe what's just happened. A black <laughs> van has... And I know you not believe me, John, but a black van has just stolen the front part of a, of a BT Open Reach van. <laughs> and I said, now, call me old-fashioned, but that black van, is not is that not the same one driven by your son? So, so I went back to the police station and the journey took me 45 minutes because I had a few stops to make. And by the time I got back to the police station, in the back of the police station, and it's an old-fashioned police station, you know, out in the out in, in Market Bosworth, there in the back of the police station yard was the BT openreach part of the van that he had stolen. Oh. So now you might, I know you're, you're, Eagle-eyed listeners will be saying, ah, but there's a crime there, PC Hannigan. Did you not just go ahead and deal with that? Well, yes, I did. I asked the chap what how he wanted it dealt with when I give, it a, give him it back. He said, I just want him spoken to, I wanted recording, and I don't want any further action. So that's what I did. I went to the person who, I th- who it was. I said, they don't want to take any further action. Please don't do that again. And that for me, is practical policing. Some people may not agree with that and say, well, did you record it? Yes, I did. Was there an outcome? Yes, the victim got his goods back. Um, Did it go against the uh, John Smith's junior? Yes, it did. So that was a good example of how trust is built up. But the other example is whenever the same John Smith phoned me, because he deals with caravans, and he phones me and said, Sean, we have, we're going to have a riot on the traveller's site. I said, okay, tell me what's wrong. And he told me what was wrong. He said, um, I've got some Polish gentlemen who have bought a caravan and they think it's stolen. Can you help? I said, yes. So I popped up to the traveller's site 15 minutes later with a traffic officer who's able to identify if a caravan is stolen or not. 
So I said, John Smith, I am going to ask your permission because we're on your private land. To, I, I'm going to get the officer to see if this is stolen. If it is, you're going to be arrested. He said, that's fine with me. I said, okay, let's see what happens. So the traffic officer worked his wonders. He said, this isn't stolen, it's genuine. So I said to the Polish uh, um, folk who were up there, this is not stolen. And they were happy. He was happy. So what I'm trying to, to demonstrate is it's a two-way system. Yeah. It's not about I scratch your back and you scratch mine. It's about looking at what the problem with the community is and trying to see what the best way to resolve that. And you're like a middle person a middle man or a middle woman. So you're you're getting the BT Openreach guy sorted out because you know what's happened. And you're also building up more trust by dealing with an incident on a traveller's site, which which is also interesting. Um, did I actually lock people up who were on the traveller's site? Yes. There's some people that got lengthy sentences and they know I'm responsible for those lengthy sentences. But guess what? That's what they take as part of their uh, its occupational hazard. Yeah. So uh, it was great working with them. Uh, and I, when I left the place, I left that particular community and went on to another, uh, another police role. So it's great working with young people. And that's why the teaching was able to come in really, really handy. Um, and also the teaching came in when I was uh, dealing with the, tra the traveller children as well, because they got to know me. And it took, it was the traveller children that actually helped to build the relationship with the uh, their mums and dads and their aunties and uncles. And they saw me as an okay cop. Now, I still enforce the law. But I do it fairly and I do it in a way where everybody wins. The local community didn't have as much theft happening and the travellers didn't have as much trouble because I said, if I don't deal with this, folks, I will get the other police officers to come on to the site. Do you want that? I said, no, we'll have you deal with it. So it's about building relationships and trying to walk that fine balance between enforcing the law and ensuring that communities get what they want. That was fantastic. Thank you, Sean. Um, and you briefly mentioned at the end there going in and helping the traveller children in the schools. Uh, so kind of linking to that, I thought I would ask you, do you think policing in schools and helping communities like the travelling community should be implemented earlier, so from a younger age? Well, um, I would say yes to that because not only of my experience uh, eight years as a teacher but I was lucky enough to have a very forward-thinking senior officer um, Chris Thomas who was an assistant chief constable and myself and a head teacher came up with a plan a cunning plan should I add to embed a police officer in a school so the long story short of this was I spent two years in a school of 2000 odd by odd, I don't mean they were odd, 2,000 students from the age of 11 to 18, and I was their police officer. So I dealt with the 14 villages outside school, which we call the village community, 
the skill community inside school and anything which affected them. And that would be from any any crimes that happened on the premises, any crimes that were related to the school community. And also, I had an education programme which I developed for the school. Uh, so I'll, I'll just outline those if that's okay the good thing about the schools were they had a feed-in from uh, I think I mentioned earlier the three uh, children's homes for looked after young people so they fed into the school so they already knew me which was a real advantage because they did have issues and problems and it was great for them to be able to come into the police office and I had an open door policy and that was if the doors open come in and chat to me about whatever you want and That was for teachers, students, uh, staff, and that worked really well. Again, it took a little while to get uh, the the students used to me because when I first went in, uh, I would just do odd visits while we were getting the office set up, and you'd get, here's 5-0, or Dibble. Now, Dibble's from Officer Dibble from Top Cat, for those that want to Google it. 5-0 is Hawaii, 5-0 meaning cops, or look, it's the filth, it's the fed, or you get this noise when you pass students, you get here, piggy, piggy. And, I, you know, most police officers would have turned around and, and maybe had a different approach I thought well if that's all they're doing that's quite good because that is a form of communication <laughs> and I'm very happy with any communication rather than silence yeah so I thought okay at least they know I'm there so after a while uh, we we had 10 students in the school who were causing the most harm in the school and we also we also had they were the seven students that were causing most harm outside of school. So we worked with them. We had partner agencies like housing, social services. We had CAMS, which is the mental health yeah. um, partner agency. And we had social services. So we put a lot of effort into finding out what is causing the problem? How can we solve it? And out of those 10 students, we were able to turn, and when I say turn, I think it's a good word to use. We were able to turn 10 of them away from crime. Yeah. Sorry, out of the 10, we actually were able to turn seven of, of them away from crime and also to improve their educational advantage that they were going to have in school and to make them better students and not those folk who were continually getting into trouble. So that was something for us that, that worked very, very well. Um, we had um, we did a lot of work with some young people who needed extra help and we all, um, I developed a, uh, a set of teaching um, resources for teachers to use so they would have uh, two two sessions of tutor time where we'd be looking at cyberbullying sexting we'd also look at um cyber stalking keeping safe online the normal stuff that you do and for the slightly older ones we'd look at reputational damage from a digital point of view so uh folk don't still realize that a an employee will look at your social media 
and if he finds if they sorry he or she finds stuff that they don't like they will question whether you, they want you as an employee and we have had quite a few occasions whenever people have been sacked because of their social media um, posts and you will find that every contract has this written in most people don't spot it or see it so we, we had a program which was delivered and then I had 125 students at a time for two 45 minute sessions and we were able to educate them certainly much better as to the dangers of what they were doing and we were able to drive down general crime in the school from uh, by 67% over a two-year period and that's using the crime harm index just to to um, to look at that from an academic point of view and say well actually this has been successful it was also successful because people got to know you as a person yeah. not as a uniform and I got to know them and this was especially true of the teachers as well because I had a um, I'd call it a, a beat surgery so they could come in to me and talk to me about a, an issue or a problem and we always had a rule because if I have a duty to act on anything which is disclosed to me I have to because it's 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 my it's my job so before somebody would come and talk to me I would say would you like to talk to me about your best friend yes I would okay tell me about your best friend and that little change made them open up because they didn't think that uh, I was going to uh, judge them and I, I never would but I made it clear I would stop some people and I would say right you're just about to tell me something which I am going to have to do something about yeah. but I will do it with a plan which helps you out but you, um, so if you're going to t continue I have to tell you that I will need to do something because there's a danger to you or to somebody else and I can't just keep that to myself. And I would always get their buy-in to do something in a sensitive way. So uh, working in the school was tremendous. I was able to teach as well, which was fabulous. Mm -hmm. And this confused some of the kids because, or some of the students, here to say, because they weren't used to having a, a police officer that can actually teach and it was really good fun. So all in all, uh, it's, it's a great, uh, an absolutely fantastic experience. You were, were able to sort the traveller children out and do specific lessons to show people where they came from, what they were about. So the the two years in school was great. And as uh, in case I didn't mention, um, I'm now doing a master's at the University of West London. And that's what my dissertation is going to be. So, um, how... Uh, you know, should police officers be in, be in schools? So should we have them in schools? And what is the role for a police officer in school? Now, the title is more specific than that, but I've just, uh, I don't have to hand it in until next year. So I'm just starting that that process. So uh, hopefully that will be good. Was there something else, else you asked me, Caitlin? Or was it just about the... No, that was fantastic. And it's really nice to see that you managed to integrate your two jobs of teaching and policing as well. But yeah. Well, I would have to say it was the, the happiest two years of my policing career. It was really, really good. So thanks for that, Caitlin. Question's probably going to be slightly controversial, but I just wanted to let you briefly have a chance to discuss your personal experience with government cuts. Cuts? What cuts? Oh, those cuts. Okay. <laughs> Yes, austerity certainly has had a, a massive impact on policing and what we're able to do. 
Uh, gone are the days when you see a Bobby on the beat. Gone are the days when we respond to every crime. And we have had to become a little smarter. For instance, uh, Caitlin's car is parked outside and somebody scrapes it. Caitlin phones the police. Yes, a police officer will be out today. Police officer comes out and takes your statement and asks you the relevant question. Do you know who has done this? No, I haven't. Caitlin says, no, I haven't upset anybody. Have you any suspects at all that you can think of? No, I don't. I'm a really nice person. I'm a university <laughs> um, student and I do podcasts. So why would somebody scrape my car? Okay, is there any CCTV in the area? Uh, Caitlin says, no, there's no CCTV. Uh, Caitlin, are there any marks that you can see, any blood, uh, anything like that, that that will help us to catch the person responsible? No. So I do the statement and then I spend another half an hour having another biscuit and a cup of tea. And then I say, I'm really sorry, but if some th- will record this as a crime, for your insurance, your car insurance purposes. Um, if anybody comes in who we think has done this, we'll put it to them, but uh, we're going to file this undetected. Now, there's two hours out if you please stay gone before austerity. Now, Caitlin phones up or she does the crime on the internet. Yes. Internet report. I'm sitting at the terminal, I get it. And I'll ask the questions, the same questions I'm asked. CCTV, no. Suspects, no. Forensic, no. Suspects, no. Any idea why somebody's done this, no. Filed, bang. That takes seven minutes. So my point is that we have got under austerity to look at what causes most harm. So domestic violence, hate crimes, assaults, murders, drugs those are what we try and concentrate on and as a cop I have to accept that I am part of an organisation that is under resourced I'm part of an organisation certainly my own force lost close to a thousand people that's a lot so you can't have the same response and unfortunately the the great British public have to accept that as well. What we want are smarter officers that can do um, things electronically and digitally. And we have that. Uh, You know, every police officer now has a BlackBerry. They can take statements on it. They can do all of the work they need to on the BlackBerry and job done. So instead of maybe visiting three crimes a day, you can visit 10. So that's good. Do people get the service? No, because people still expect to see a cop coming around to deal with the smashed window. Well, if to be fair, if it's not going anywhere, I'm not going to be coming around because all I'm doing is saying I can't do anything about it when I can phone you and tell you that. And that sounds awfully harsh. Personally, do I think it's a service that we should be giving? Absolutely not. But a lot of units within every police service do phone people back and say, look, I'm sorry, we can't do anything about this because it'll ask you on the form, do you want to call back or is this really just for your insurance? I don't mean just, but for insurance purposes. Yeah. That's the reality because we've had cutbacks in the healthcare, we've had cutbacks in defence. We have to take our share of that. But the police are very resilient. Um, 
do I think that policing should be better resourced? Absolutely. Because there are so many incidents that we can't deal with because the major part of policing cost is staff, the same as every other organisation. We're lucky that we've got an extra 20,000. If I had my way, we'd have an extra 20,000 more. Mm. But we don't. So we have to be realists. Do we miss crimes? Yes. Do serious offenders not go to prison? Yes. But we do the absolute best we can, given the resources that we have. And it saddens me that uh, that there are uh, criminals that get away with it, um, criminals that aren't convicted. But that, that's the reality of placing, and that's why our systems change to try and meet that challenge. You still have very enthusiastic uh, um, people joining the place, and I'm glad to see that. It, it, it does my heart good, because if somebody said, would you like to join placing now? Ooh, I'm not sure how to answer that one. Yeah. Well, I, 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 it's, a different, it's a different style of placing. Yeah. I come from not the quite Dixon of Doc Green, which I'm sure, Caitlin, you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. But no, I come from an era where, you know, you, you did have Bobby's Walk in the Beat. And some police services are going back to that, where they do have local community officers. And that's great to see because they're they're resourcing it properly. So final question for you, Sean. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been absolutely fantastic. I was hoping you could could, could conclude on some current issues um, within policing. So do you think more should be done for women's safety? Obviously, at the moment, that's highly in news. And also stop and searches is another very uh, tentative subject. Okay. Well, well, I joined the police 21 years ago. These were still issues. And I'm horrified to say that there's still issues today. Do we live in in a world where there's still misogyny? Yes, we do. Do we live in a world where it's accepted? Yes, we do. Do we live in a world where it is acceptable? No, it's not acceptable. And luckily, we don't live in that world. Um, I'm not going to go into the countless studies because I'll I'll maybe put you on to one of my colleagues who's an expert in this area and she has taught me so much when I've been doing my master's. Um, She's come up with studies which which basically uh, show the true picture. A university survey not that long ago showed that 8,000 female students feared for their own personal safety. And this is not only from people outside the university community, people inside that to me is shocking what can we do about it uh we can you know the problem isn't with the female i have to say the problems with with i think uh the uh, the male uh, or those who who look to pry on anybody whether it's to do with uh your sex your gender your religion uh the color of your skin your political beliefs so that will still go on because we, you know, society is made up of different types of people. Some are very, very nice, lovely to have on a podcast. Some are not very nice. And it, it, it's it's still an issue. I think it's about making people aware. It's about stopping this, the, you know, the, the start of it is with stupid innuendo and joke. Um you know, it used to be, it, it was acceptable to, you know, Paddy Irishman, Paddy Englishman, Paddy Scotsman. Well, that's no longer acceptable. So I think 
people, especially younger, the younger generation, are biting back against this and saying how unacceptable it is. Unfortunately, you still have some dinosaurs out there that don't see it as a problem. It very much is because it's the start of a process. And going back to something we talked about earlier, Caitlin, education skill is absolutely vital for this so that we don't have as many of these issues. So safety for not only women, but safety for for, uh, most young people, because unfortunately, if you're at university, uh, you are seen as rich pickings because you'll have an iPhone, you'll have a credit card, you'll have a few pounds in your wallet, you'll have a wallet, you'll have a, a a purse or a bag you might have other devices and it is about making sure that you're not putting yourself in at risk it's looking at making sure that you walk with somebody else if you can just the normal things if somebody goes to rob you give them whatever the heck they want Mm -hmm. don't ever start a fight with them because some people are nasty individuals and they will want to have a pop at you. You know what? You can get an iPhone back. You can get money back. You can get your credit card back. You can get your purse back. You can get your bag back or, or your backpack. So so my, my first bit of advice is if, if, if you all ever do have this, don't. But what you can do is remember as much as you can about the individual. That will help to, to catch them. Um, I feel sorry that I'm even talking about this because I think it's a shame that uh, especially females are more of a target than males are likely to be. I think males need to, to ensure that if they're walking behind a female, that they're not even uh, a potential for that female to say uh, is something about to happen here. You know, walk to the other side of the road, chaps, or, uh, you know, whatever you're going to do, walk past the, the girl. Don't sit behind her five or six steps and follow her because you wouldn't like that if it was a big, hairy person like me. Five <laughs> steps behind you. And when you turned right, I turned right. So just think about that. But we also need to, to have a, a, a zero policy. Anyone that's caught... Uh, certainly if it's at university, that's the end of the university um, career. I'm hoping there aren't. I'm, I'm hoping, but universities represent um, society, unfortunately, and you will have people who will try and take advantage. So it's about trying to ensure that, I know the university has some very good um, online safety um, videos and also safety powerpoints that you, that you can look at um, in general I, I think things haven't been helped within the last six weeks first of all the police officer who allegedly murdered the uh, young uh, the young Sarah young girl Farad, yeah. yes Sarah Everard sorry um, that has been a, an absolute disaster not only for Sarah's family but the fact that a police officer has been charged, I can't think of anything worse. Yeah. I can't think of anything worse than a police officer who in Warwickshire has been um, suspended because he decided to have a domestic violence assault stroke fight with his girlfriend. You know, I, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm astounded at that. But with most things, we've got to, to have some perspective. Are all police officers like that? Thank heavens, no. Yeah. 
Um, it has brought to the fore safety issues, and I think it's right that people are able to protest. It's right that they're able to have a voice and say, this is this is unacceptable. And it's right that we continue to bring it to the fore until it changes. Um, so um, I think that it, it's a great shame that we're still talking about this. And on that note, stop and search. You can't argue with statistics. Some statistics uh, you will be able to look at on stop and search. And in some areas, if you are not white, you're seven times more likely to be stop searched. Mm. Why is that? Recent reports come out from what used to be the HMI. It's now Her Majesty's Inspector of Policing and Fire Service. And it basically says things haven't changed very much. That's... A bit of a shock because it, 21 years ago when I joined the police it was an issue and it's still an issue that we haven't solved so if we're using it as a tactic why are we using it as a tactic and does it work but we also need to look at the research in more detail and again Larry uh, Sherman who I spoke about earlier in yes. Cambridge University he's done some work in this and his work is coming up with a different set of understandings about stop search so i think we could have a, a whole podcast podcast just on stop search um caitlin but from my point of view if it causes distrust in communities why are we using it yeah if we are using it for good purpose then let's get that message out there and a lot of community uh, sorry a number of communities actually applaud the fact that stop search is happening because it's targeting the people that target them and i don't mean i'm not talking about black communities i'm not talking about asian communities i'm talking about communities yeah so is there a need for it yes is it practiced properly and proportionately the stats seem to say no and yet i know so many police officers that you stop search properly equitably and it's not used um i've, I've stopped you because you're a certain color are you a certain creed are you a certain political belief if i thought that was the case I, I would be very unproud if there is such a word of my police service and it would be it would make the 21 years that i've done mean nothing i think there is a solution but it's 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 a fine it's line, very, isn't it yeah well, more than a, 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 yes, it is a fine line, but we need to really understand why we're still getting it wrong. And if we're using it as a tactic uh, that's not working and it's causing more harm than good, we've got to balance that. I would sooner have a stop search if it's taking knives and guns off the street. But if it's not used for that, then why are we doing it? Mm -hmm. And if we can show that in an area which is 50 50 uh, mix of different communities, if one community is being unfairly targeted, why is that? If they're being targeted, let, let us know. Tell tell us why that's happening. Let the communities know. Engage with them. Because it, it's this, you know, the, the, the police are doing this to us. Well, it's a tactic. If it's not working, why? And is there, anything, is there something else we can do? But we there's one thing for sure. We have to get knife crime. We have to get knives off the knives off the street. We have to get drug dealers off the street, and we have to get guns off the street. If there's another way of doing this, please, all you academics out there, let me know what a better way is. And certainly, I'll do that from a PhD. Yeah. Gladly.
100%. It's about just finding solutions if we can't change the way we're doing things. It is. So, Caitlin, I'd like to personally thank you for inviting me onto the podcast. It's the first one I've ever done. Happy uh, to engage with any other students and to have other podcasts or help any of the students if they're doing their, their placing undergraduate or even they're doing the master's. I'm very happy to do that. And just thank you for giving me the opportunity. Uh, it, it's been a lot of fun for me. I hope it's been a little bit of fun for you. A lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's been really interesting to hear about your past and your views on things um and don't worry about the length of podcast people are listening because they're interested uh, and ultimately you've got a lot of wisdom to share so yeah thank you for joining me and thank you for your time today